All right, happy Valentine's Day weekend. Yeah, if you didn't know, this is your warning. You have one day. <laughs> it's probably too late um, for you. So anyways, praying for you. <laughs> if, uh, here's a couple things I'm going to share with you right off the bat, a couple quotes that I love. Valentine's Day is the holiday that reminds you if you don't have a special someone, you are alone. <laughs> a guy knows he's in love when he loses interest in his car for a couple of days. That's Tim Allen says that. Love is blind, marriage is the eye-opener. <laughs> I love that as well. Uh, this is free, free coursework for you guys here. Before you marry a person, you should first make them use a computer with slow internet to see who they really are. <laughs> That's true. That's really true. Oh, man, it's so good to have you in church today. If you're joining us online, we're so glad that you choose to be here at the Father's House. Hey, how about this new uh, podium we got here, huh? Pretty nice. We, uh, we had Daryl and Angel Wolfram donate a number of years ago, I think over five years ago, donate toward uh, a podium. And we've just been kind of thinking around the idea of what would serve uh, the, the platform the best here and would communicate kind of who we are. And how many of you know some of the best conversations happen around the table? Is that right? So we want to invite you to the table and have some conversations with you. And so this is just such a blessing. We love our church family because we believe you're so faithful in what God has called you to. And it has an overflow and an expression in the life of this church. And so we're just so appreciative of that. And I just want to just, let's, let's put a round of applause together for you and for you continuing to be faithful to what God is calling you to. I'm pretty excited today. Um, I was texting my mom yesterday and I uh, was like, you know, hey, I'm preaching tomorrow. Don't know if you, she lives in Calgary. I'm like, don't know what you're up to. She's like, okay, I'll come. And I'm like, oh my goodness, so my mom's here, which is great, and uh, which is awesome. And she brought my favorite aunt in the world, my Aunt Carol with her, her sister, and uh, so excited. I haven't seen her since probably before Christmas, sometime in, in the fall, and just the world. So I, my goal in life is to slowly get my family to just attend our church. Um, and whether they do it online or in person, it's clear that we're making an impact all over the place. We're seeing this church grow. So we can just believe for Mournville to become the hub of my family would be great. So uh, we'll just, <laughs> we, I'm just thinking to myself, the more kids we have, the more they have to be here. So that's probably a good thing, right? Awesome. Hey, if you're following along in our series, uh, we are in the uh, series called The Good and Beautiful Life. And The Good and Beautiful Life is the second of three books uh, that we're, t we're going through as a church. And uh, this week, um, Valentine's Day, you know, in all of the ideas of what we could possibly preach on, it just so happened to line up that this week is not about love, it's about lust. Yeah, exactly. That's the response that I had as well when I saw my name on the list to preach this week. <laughs> lust. Oh man, this is going to be tough, I thought. You know, this is really challenging. This is difficult. This is not like really romantic and it's not really heartwarming. But I really do believe that I have a message for you today. And I believe that God and the Holy Spirit is going to be working in your life and unpacking some things this morning. And so I just want you to be open to what he has for you today. You know, we all have different issues in our life. None of us are free of issues. Um, whether it's lust or not, we all are searching for something. We're searching for feelings. Am I right? We're searching for feelings. We're searching for things that will make us feel better, whether it's validation, acceptance, approval, whatever it is. But the, the, the other truth is that we don't often walk around going, hi, my name is Tyler, I'm looking for your validation, right? That's, it's true. Even though we can recognize, we can agree, we're all looking for something, we don't actually like to be honest about it. And we don't like to admit that we're really not satisfied. Our, our words might not communicate what's actually going on inside of our life. And even more so than that, what about our actions? 
We have to be really careful, and we have to look at the desires in our hearts and see where it is that we're placing our trust, where it is that we're placing our hope. And this will start to reveal a really different posture and position for our life overall as a whole, whether it's emotionally, whether it's mentally, spiritually, physically, in whatever way it is. So, you know, we can look around today this morning, and um, I, I don't encourage you to look around on a lust service weekend, okay? Like, don't, don't like, look around and be like, see, you're struggling with that. I knew it, right? Like, you don't, that's not really what you want to do today. So maybe just keep your eyes just, like, dialed in, you know? <laughs> just kidding. You can look around if you want, but uh, just don't convict someone around you. We want to turn the focus in on ourselves. We want to turn the focus in on ourselves today because it's easy to look at our social circles and say, I can, I can pinpoint anybody in my social circle who has a bigger problem than me, right? I can say, ah, oh, their marriage didn't work out. I knew it. Saw the signs the whole time. Meanwhile, is my marriage okay, right? There's things that we need to be honest about. We need to, to admit to ourselves that we're all in this relentless pursuit of being satisfied. And, and satisfaction is interesting because it's so much more than just emotionally or mentally or even spiritually. Uh, a lot of the satisfaction that we get in our world is physical. A lot of the satisfaction that we pursue is promised to have a deeper satisfaction to it but it ends up just being surface level, and it ends up just remaining on the surface, physical. So until we identify the things we're searching for, we're almost always gonna act out of whatever impulse we have when it comes to feelings. And I love the word impulse because it's really connected to feeling. It's not the truest form, it's not honest. It's not actually what we need but it's a response, it's, an, it's the knee-jerk reaction to being angry like we talked about last week. It's the knee-jerk reaction to being angry when it comes to your emotions, impulses, that's what it is. So when it comes to lust, we most often discuss, discuss sexual pursuits. We discuss being, you know, pursuing self-gratification, those kinds of things. And, and it is really important to discuss those things. So before anybody gets up and leaves the room today, I am gonna touch on that, and I am gonna be honest with you about some things. I'm going to unmask some things today, and it's really important that you understand the reason I'm doing that. It's because it greatly shifts our attitudes and our actions. See, lust can be so much more than just physical. It can actually penetrate to the deepest parts of our souls and cause us to actually live and respond in a self, in a position of self that is false. It's not true. It's not what God wants for us. It's not, it's not full, and we can't possibly be satisfied. So how do we live without lust in our lives? That's the title of the chapter this week, if you're reading along in your books. What are we to do? Well, first, let's pray, and we'll go from there together. God, we come to you today, Valentine's Day weekend, and we are thankful for the people in our lives that we get to celebrate, that we get to love. But God, we cannot walk away from this weekend not recognizing the love that you have for us. So God, we start there today. We know that we're loved. We know that we can find wholeness in you. Reveal yourself to us today in this message, I pray. Amen. All right. Let me ask you this. Where do you find fulfillment? Where do you find fulfillment? The temptation right now is to think of everyone else that you see and think is being fulfilled correctly. Now, for a minute, if you see and think people are being fulfilled correctly, what does that make you want to do? Makes you want it. Makes you want it real bad. <laughs> the more that you see and you think that someone else is succeeding and someone else is achieving and someone else is fulfilling and someone else is feeling good, 
We desire that. And that becomes lust. That is lust in every, in every way. And, you know, lust can be described and defined sexually for sure as a contrast to what love is meant to be. But when we look at what lust really is, it's all about being gratified about a feeling, about pursuing fulfillment in a feeling. We can look around and we can see, you know, the friend that is sleeping with their significant other. They're not married. They're living life. We can look at them and judge them. We can, we can look around and say, oh my goodness, you see that person with the tattoos? They're not fulfilled. They're not living their best life. We can, we can hear about marriages falling apart and we can say, yeah, for sure. I could have called that. I could have called, but it was only a matter of time. See, as Christians, we want to feel satisfied and fulfilled in getting what we need from God, but I think the biggest issue that we face as believers is that we don't have complete trust in him. We don't trust God enough with these things that we look to them the way the world looks to them to supply the feeling of satisfaction. I have to be honest with you, I've, I've worn a mask for most of my youth and young adult life. And maybe some of you maybe have experienced something similar to this, or maybe you are currently in the battle of this. And I need you to understand that admitting that is the first step. Admitting that you struggle is the first step. I'm still searching. I'm still wondering. You know, I have this mask that sometimes I put on that says, on the outside, everything is fine. On the outside, everything is fine. There's nothing wrong. You can trust me. You can, you know, you can ask me for anything and I'll be happy to do it. Got my priorities straight. But on the inside, I'm searching. I am searching. I had to sit down with my wife this past week and, and have a discussion with her and I was writing this message early in the week and I was preparing and I was like, oh my goodness, I have to go to my wife. You know, Pastor Greg preached last week and talked about that, and I was like, I just felt so convicted, and I was like, I can't go on this week without going to my wife. And something inside of me told me, it's going to be okay. You just have to go to her. And so I went to her, and I just shared, and I just asked, I said, can, can you just pray for me? I need prayer for wisdom. I need prayer for forgiveness for myself. I need you to forgive me. Because the truth is that I've struggled with wearing masks, and whether it's sexual sin or not, we, we've dealt with sin almost all of our lives. All of us have. I felt the Holy Spirit convict me that in order to fully understand how to live as believers, we first have to acknowledge the areas in our life where lust may have overtaken love or even disguised itself as love to begin with. See, lust in its truest form is self-serving, and self-gratifying, whereas the kind of love that God intended for us is to be the kind of love that overwhelmingly overflows into the lives and into the relationships of people around us. The topics that we address in church, the way that we address them together, can easily become the way that we address them in the world. When we have a strategy, when we understand our battle plan, we're able to go out into the world in protection and confidence because we can confront the lies and begin to dismantle some of the falsehoods that we believe and some of the falsehoods that we are shown and seen and some of the narratives that we have slowly accepted as truth. But when the church is silent, when we don't talk about it, especially when it comes to the obsession of sex in this world, we look like hypocrites regardless of the topic. 
See, because there's something powerful about lust. There, there's a, there's, you know, the book talks, our book talks about how the first look isn't where the sin happens. The second look is where the sin occurs. The first look, the, the, the awareness of God's creation is not in itself wrong. The second look, the objectification of God's creation is when it becomes self-serving. It's when it becomes about us. And, and so when we lust after other things similarly to sexual sin, would you agree with me this morning that it's possible to lust over things like finances, your wealth, things like your value, your worth, things like platform, leadership, those kind of things. You can be in pursuit of the right things for the wrong reasons, and it's actually lust. The first look isn't wrong, but the second one, when you, when you covet it and when you pursue it without the wholeness and the way that God intended it to be, it becomes manipulated and incorrect and wrong. And when we don't talk about the obsession and struggle we have in this world with all sorts of different things, but also with sex, we can begin to normalize the sin and struggles that we face. This isn't just true for Christians. You know, most people would say that, you know, those that hold different religious beliefs all around the world would say that some form of, pursuing some form of purity is probably good. It's probably good for your life. But we need to turn to God. We need to turn to God and say, God, I need you to help me with this. God, I need you to reveal to me how to do better, how, how to be stronger. And, and church, it doesn't just end with like coming to church on Sunday and saying those things and then going home and turning on, doing the same thing, swiping the same phones, choosing the same behaviors, partaking in the same activities that lead you to the same sin you struggled with before church. You can't leave this place and go back to the same patterns of life and expect them to change. You cannot. When we normalize lust, when we've accepted it as part of our life in whatever way it is, we misunderstand and eventually mistrust God's desire to satisfy us. In the book, Dallas Willard says this, the two main errors in the area of human sexuality are this, assuming that all, sexuality, all sexual desire is good, and two, believing that all sexual desire is evil. We gotta start there, and we gotta understand that God created it. God created you and I. God made each and every one of us perfect in his image. And so there's a beauty, there's an acceptance and understanding that we are first loved, that we are first chosen, that we are first made and created in his image. But that image is not for us to take and gratify ourselves with. We were created for his purposes, not our own. As a youth pastor, I experienced and, and saw, you know, some of the most powerful and life-altering services when we addressed relationship values and, and sexuality head-on. Um, I think parents are mostly just happy to see someone else teaching their kids about it, just being honest. <laughs> uh, you know, you send home a letter and say, this is what we're going to be discussing. Are you okay with this? Uh, you know, some of those permission forms come back quicker than any other permission form. Yes, absolutely, amen. You know, like, God bless you as you teach my child, right? There's just, <laughs> there's a truth about it um, that I think, I have a daughter now, so I'll, I'll let you know in a few years. <laughs> Gives me nightmares. <laughs> but because we don't talk about it, we don't address how to deal with it in the long term, you know, at the church level, at the, at the adult level, uh, sometimes we leave it up to the, to the youth level 
to do some of the explaining and some of the process. And so, you know, some of the teachings, those powerful moments of, of life change and when a student chooses to, to leave their life of sin or the struggle that they have and they choose to commit to Jesus, they're going to live different. And you see them walk in this newness. You see them walk in this understanding that says, I am new. I am created in God's image and I'll be confident in that. And then they leave high school. And they leave a culture where it's discussed a lot. And what happens? It's easy to fall. It's easy to fall into temptation because we don't talk about it. We don't address how to deal with it in the long term. And so what happens is, is that over time we see young people become teachers and doctors and lawyers and pastors. Yes, pastors who are dealing with sexual sin and lust in the most real and harmful ways possible. And I don't say this to shame anyone this morning, but we've got to be honest with one another and address the real issue that causes division. Because when we leave lust unaddressed, the love of lust becomes unquenchable. It becomes something that cannot be satisfied. No matter how much we drink, you just can't. It's not good enough. I need more. When this is empty, I need more. It won't do. A survey taken at Promise Keepers Rally revealed, Promise Keepers is an organization that does rallies for men. And uh, I've always wanted to go to one. My brother's invited me to one in the past, and it's something that's on my list of, of, of things to do. But a survey taken at Promise Keepers Rally revealed that over 50% of men in attendance were involved with pornography within one week of attending the event. And that was 20 years ago. 50% of Christian men and 20% of Christian women say they're addicted to porn. And the most popular day of the week for viewing it is Sunday. What? I really want to help you understand this. Like, no one is excluded from this. Pastors are in the same boat. Just because I'm on the platform does not mean that I don't struggle with sin. We're searching. We're endlessly searching for satisfaction, for fulfillment, for a feeling. We live in this world that we believe so quickly that the world will satisfy us, and on our own, we can control and even avoid the temptation of sin altogether. And you can't. You know, I have, I have this desire to be fulfilled. Maybe you do, a well, do as well, but I have this desire for affection, to be accepted. And I, and I struggle with this for a lot of my, for a lot of my um, day-to-day. I've struggled with this for a lot of my, my youth, my young adult life, and, and my wife has helped me walk through this in a great deal. In calling me out sometimes when you're, she's like, Tyler, like, you care way too much what I think. It's tough. It's tough to hear that sometimes. But church, I struggled with lust and pornography because I I pursued a false narrative that if I search hard enough, I can find something that will satisfy me. Just five more minutes, just two more web searches, just one more episode. And as a result of where I was living, the desire of fulfillment, the desire for fulfillment, I saw myself become a liar, a manipulator. Not because I wanted to be those things, but because I so desperately wanted to feel something that I was missing. Something that I thought I could get from what the world had. Being ashamed with my sin, I was so desperate and thought I could find it on my own, I, I chose not to go to the right source over and over and over again. Maybe you're in the same boat. I don't know what you're trying to fulfill your life with today. I don't. But when it's not God, as long as there's lust for what the world provides, 
you will not fully understand the love and fulfillment that only Christ can provide. Some of you have the house, the cars, the pets, the vacation homes, everything you could want in this world, but you hate going home. You can't find peace no matter what. And you're unfulfilled. And you're searching endlessly, endlessly to be satisfied for something that has already been provided to you. You know, imagine if, if we had the thing that would satisfy us already, but we just didn't realize it. Imagine how much time we would waste if we had that thing and didn't realize it. We do. If you're a follower of Jesus, then, then we have to look at what he says and we have to take it seriously. And, and I, I, it's, it's very, very clear. <laughs> and it's actually very, very convicting. <laughs> so we're going to be in this together today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 and 28. Jesus said, You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. And most of us would say, yeah, that's probably a good thing. Uh, don't, don't do that. Uh, he raises the standard, though, and says this. But I tell you, anyone who does what? Looks. Anyone who looks lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery with her in his heart. According to Jesus, looking lustfully is equal to committing adultery in your heart. This is what we're talking about when it comes to lust. Let's put adultery aside for a moment. Anything that you do with ill intent, with a self-gratification in mind, that is not in the presence of God and saying, God, I need you to satisfy, is lust. It can be anything. You have to agree. You have to agree with me that the, the natural sin uh, desire that we have of pursuing ourself, pursuing the turning in, right? The, the turning in uh, to ourselves, choosing us over what's best for us, what God says is best for us, is wrong. And not only is it wrong, but James says it's actually very dangerous. He says this in chapter 1, 14 and 15. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and sin, when it is allowed to grow, in other words, when it's not confessed and when you don't turn from it, when you just continue on in your sin pattern and it's allowed to grow and it doesn't change, what does it give birth to? James said this, it gives birth to death. It gives birth to death, purity, death of intimacy, death of trust in a relationship, and ultimately, spiritual death. There's a process that first occurs, that occurs right off the bat. And it's, it's happened for all of us that have experienced this kind of sin. It's that we're exposed and then we're injured. We're exposed and injured. And, and that's what happened to me. You know, my mind was pure. My mind was pure. And suddenly my mind was polluted. You were innocent and then you were wounded. Something in your thought process changes. And, and it becomes wounded in this incredible way. You, you were exposed to some impurity that, that, and, and, you know, that you thought was like, oh, that's not such a big deal. But it immediately changes the way that you think. You know, you sustain an injury to the mind. Then the next thing, after you're exposed, you're injured, and then you're confused. Because, you know, if you're like a lot of people, you simultaneously feel this intense enjoyment and then intense what? Shame. Shame. I like this, but I feel guilty. You know, you're, you're Paul in Romans, right? The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. That's what sin does. 
Pursuing satisfaction in this world leaves you only wanting more and then feeling terrible for it. (laughs) So we're going to land and look at John chapter 4 today, and I'm going to take a different approach to the topic of lust, so I want you to stay with me. But it's important that we understand what the point of this really is. And and, and you're going to know this story as we go through it a little bit here. It's, It's the woman at the well. The woman is heading to the well. And to get some context, she's coming to the well by herself, and she's coming around midday. And midday uh, is typically the hottest time of the day. So she's coming to get what she needs at the well by herself in the hottest time of the day. Why is that? There's importance in that. Shame. She didn't come when other people were there. She didn't come when other people would be there in the morning or at night. She came in the middle of the day. She came when it was hot out. She came to get her needs met by herself. She came for one reason, to get a, a practical need met. She needs, she needs water. And that maybe sounds like some of us, right? Come to church, check a box, go home. When you encounter Jesus, he is never just doing a surface level work in your life. He is always going inward to where your longing to be fulfilled can be met. In this story, humanity meets Jesus' divinity. And we see the change and the shift in what happens. John chapter 4, verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. She's on her way to the well. And Jesus engages her before she even engages him. Jesus says, hey, will you give me a drink? What does that say about God? What does that say about God? That he will pursue us before we have done anything right. We don't have to be in right standing with him. We don't have to have even our sin exposed to him. God says, hey, can you come here for a minute? I want to know you. I love you. Let's talk. Wow. Verse 9 goes on. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew what God has planned for you, if you you even knew with all the stuff going on in your life, if you knew if you knew that all you had to do was ask, you would ask me. That's what Jesus is saying. She says this in 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. And that well is deep. Where can you get this living water? <laughs> the woman is essentially telling Jesus, you don't have what I need. You don't have a rope. You don't have a bucket. And she was telling Jesus, You don't have even what I need to get my need met. And I can relate with that. Anybody else? Sometimes I've sat in the presence of God and been like, you don't have what I need to get my need met. You just don't. I don't understand how I'm supposed to get that job that is is very present and real and I need to make excellent. I don't understand how you're going to meet that need. I don't understand how you're going to meet that need of of filling the void, of my dad leaving my life. I don't know how you're going to fill that need. 
of a father that isn't present. I don't know how you're going to fill that need of, uh, of that, that disagreement between someone that I really hoped would be my friend, someone that I really looked up to. There was a misunderstanding. I don't know how you're supposed to fix that. I don't know, God, where you fit in. I've doubted that he can meet my need. How is he going to fulfill me? misunderstanding. So many of us believe that God has, has our best in mind, and we sit here on the weekend in praise and worship, we read some scripture, we get encouraged, and we get reminded that we should think that way, but we leave feeling like, wait a sec, that doesn't add up. I don't see God in my life. I don't see him helping me. I don't, I don't see my suffering coming to an end. We have hurt, we have pain, we have emotional wounds, we have physical wounds, we have problems that are not just going to get better. And church, every single one of us are living with these open wounds. Every one of us is. You know, the question of, like, what happened, what about my marriage? What about my marriage? You know, he or she walked out on me. They left. What am I supposed to do if they don't come back? What am I supposed to do if even after all the prayer, he won't be healed? What am I supposed to do about my plans, my future? God, the well is too deep. The well is too deep. And you don't have what I need. You don't have a rope. You don't have a bucket. And the well is too deep. It's too deep. You can't. But listen to what Jesus said. Verse 13. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. (laughs) She had come to fill her practical need. And Jesus is saying, this is not what you need. Even when we think we know what we need, God is reminding us that he knows what's best. That he not only knows what's best, but he will give it to us. He will provide it for us. You know, sometimes we have long periods of time where we're free from sin. Let's talk about sexual sin, right? We're, we're, we're free from sexual, you know, uh, immorality and, and lust and all of these things. And you open up the door and you get pulled back into it and you wonder, God, what happened? How did this happen? How am I back here? It's because it doesn't last if it's in the wrong place. It doesn't last if we're at the wrong source. If we're expecting to meet our physical needs by drawing from a well, and Jesus is sitting there saying, it's the wrong well, the wrong source. We can't ask that question. We get confused. So we're we're exposed, we're we're injured, we're confused. And, you know, some of us even, you know, we go through this thought process where we say things like, you know, the, the stuff that I struggled with before marriage won't be an issue when I get married. I struggle with pornography before marriage. I won't struggle with it in marriage. I'll be satisfied. No, you won't. You will not. Because that person is not meant to satisfy you. You know, you get married and the problems don't go away. And you expect them to. Because we've bought into this false idea that things will be perfect when they're in our control. You know, you think, man, I must have a passion problem. All I think about is this. You don't have a passion problem. 
you are dealing with an injury that has not healed. And anybody walking around with an injury, let me say a life-threatening injury, cannot be healed if you go and put a Band-Aid on it. It will fall off. You've been wounded by your spiritual enemy and your mind has changed and it has not healed and will not be fulfilled by anything that the world will provide. This is the problem that we face. For anyone that knows me really well, I'm um, friends of mine, you know who you are. Um, I'm kind of a drinks guy. I love beverages. Like, love them. And uh, you'll never find me at a restaurant or anywhere with only one, one beverage in front of me. You'll always find me with a water and a Coke. Or at Cora's, you'll find me with orange juice, apple juice, and milk. <laughs> and the waitress will, what did she call me? What did she say? She said I was high, uh, extra or something? I don't know. Anyway, she was saying, you know, she, yeah, it was, it was really, I, I was like, that doesn't make me extra by just wanting what I want. <laughs> exactly what it does. Exactly what it does. Because she had to bring it to me. She was upset. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, I love drinks. I love beverages. Tasty flavors, carbonated, flat, whatever. I love it, okay? I absolutely love it. I, I, anytime I sit down and watch a show, it feels like a movie night. That's just how, <laughs> I'm like, where's my snacks? Where are my drinks at? Like, I'm just so excited, right? It's my weakness. <laughs> so this is lemonade. It's delicious. Anybody like lemonade? No? Yeah, you do? Okay. I like lemonade, and um, I like lemonade in every single way, whether you make it with the powder or you buy it like this, however you make it, I like it. It's delicious. It tastes so good. Can you just, you know, can you feel that little like sour tinge in the back of just me drinking it? I know some of you can't. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's good. Just immediately coats your throat. So good, so delicious, right? I'm gonna illustrate this in a unique way. The thing about lemonade is what does it do? It makes you more thirsty. <laughs> Whoops. The more you drink, the more thirsty you get. And eventually, once you've drank it all, that source will run out. It will run out. No matter how much I need, no matter how much I drink, no matter how much I think I need to get in my body, <laughs> it will run out. It will. My reaction is to go to what I love. My, my, my desire is to go to what tastes good. It makes me feel good. But it's not good for me. And it's actually going to run out. It's going to leave me wanting more. You know, when I was a kid, uh, my mom, who's here, this is fun telling the story because you're here now. I didn't know this when I was preparing it, but it's super fun. When I was a kid, um, you would send us outside to go play. I have a twin brother, so there's two of us at once all the time. So I have a feeling that I have a feeling that the desire was to say, "Go on and get to give me some free time." But my mom, you know, we were raised in a home where, um, you know, technology and stuff was not the main thing. Uh, we were encouraged to go out and play, get outside, enjoy the weather. If it's not nice weather, just enjoy being away. Like, just get outside. Get outside and have fun, right? Like, just go on and have some fun with your friends and make some forts and have fun. See you later. Let me know what time you're home for dinner kind of thing. My mom was actually awesome. Some of the best adventures and memories I have is getting out of the house when I least wanted to and finding my friends and going on different adventures and different things. You know, having water fights or playing hide-and-seek, cops and robbers, whatever it was, doing burials for little grasshoppers in the back, whatever. <laughs> It was awesome, but 
The most satisfying thing ever, when you're thirsty, when you're playing outside, you drink from the hose, right? You go up to the hose, you turn the hose on, and you let it go for a minute, you just test the water, perfect. Right, and you drink from the hose, mm, and you go, come on, get some, and you pass it to all your friends, right? Even sometimes, you're like that kid, you're looking at it, you're like, I can put my mouth on that. And then it like blows you back, right? And it like comes out of your nose and for a minute you regret your life choices, but you keep going back, right? It's delicious. It's the best water I've ever had. Right now you only go to the store and they want you to buy box water, like out of a cardboard box. What the heck is that? Water from the hose is the best. And why is it the best? Because it doesn't run out. Yes, it doesn't run out because it's already been paid for. It's been paid for, the bill's been paid. I can turn this thing on, right? Just drink it all day long. It never runs out. It doesn't. Your friends can be fed, you can be fed, everybody in the neighborhood can be fed off your hose, your water hose, and you can fill up water balloons from these. You can have a blast. You can do everything you need to do by going to this source. And this is the same way. This is the problem that we do, we go to all the time in our life, is we go to sources that are non-renewable. We go to sources that will run out, and we expect them to satisfy. But they leave us thirsty, and they leave us unsatisfied in such a powerful way. And we go to it over and over and over and over and over again, expecting different results. Church, that's insanity. That's insanity. But the world tells us to do that. But Jesus says, come to my well. It's already been paid for. And it will never run out. It'll never run out. It's amazing. So we drink. We drink from the source. We feel satisfied. You know what the beautiful part of it is? The most beautiful part I love? This only turns off when we choose to turn it off. Tap water from the hose. You gotta choose the right source. You gotta understand that the control we have when it comes to our relationship with God is not to say that there isn't enough. The control we have, and we're so stupid, I am so stupid that I think that God is the one turning it off when I shut it off and choose something else. And it's not true. You cannot expect this to provide for you that when it is temporary and will leave you more thirsty. You cannot. Too many of us have relied on temporary resources to fulfill our needs rather than looking to the source to provide for us. The problem with lust in all of this is that in every area of our life, this is the falsehood. It's a deceitful liar. Lust is the worst. Because we look at it and we go, hmm, that looks good. And then what? We get caught in it. And we get caught in this addiction, in this process of choosing over and over and over again. But let's look at the scripture. Verse 14. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. This is the illustration that I love. This is the best. There is nothing like drinking from the source. And Christ is our source. 
Christ is saying to us that we can get our practical needs met if we choose to go to sources in this world and think that that will be enough, but it will not last. It's temporary. It will not last. Jesus is talking about the difference in our, in our book as well as in this scripture. He's talking about the difference between pursuit of our inner and outer righteousness. And as we become a new kind of person in the kingdom of God, as we continue to, to pull from the source, the water hose, as we continue to return and go back over and over and over again, we become a new creation. We become revitalized. We become confident and strong and, and we become the, the exact person we're supposed to be in the image of God. But when we do this, we become overweight and unhappy, <laughs> sinfully and in every other way. We cannot be consumed with lust, cravings, desires, and expect our inner righteousness and our outer righteousness to reflect the glory of God. It just doesn't work that way. That's why so many of us are struggling trying to understand why you might be the best you've ever been financially. You might be the most stable you've ever been, but you are hurting so deeply inside, there is never going to be enough. That's what's mind-blowing, isn't it? You can have everything the world tells you you need and still be unhappy. You can marry your dream guy or dream girl and you can be more unhappy than if you just remain single. If our vision is so focused on what we think we need and we don't trust God with what we actually need, we'll never know what it means to be fulfilled. We cannot change our hearts by just making physical changes with our outer behavior. We have to be willing to consume it, to, to you know, from the inside out, allow that source to change and to shift and dra drastically and radically renew us. And that's why Jesus goes further with the woman at the well. They talk and they have a discussion, and, and as he's talking with her, he's essentially saying to her to trust him. Come on, rely on me. I have what you need. She goes, and I don't think you have what I need. And he goes, you'll never thirst again if you drink from what I have. And Jesus challenges her to go get her husband. And she says, I don't have one. And Jesus is like, yeah, you're absolutely right. You have five. <laughs> He's calling her out and showing her that in order to live in the kingdom, she has to be what? Honest. Honest and just admit that she is drinking from a well that is temporary and shallow. Shallow. It will run out. Verse 27 goes on, Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar. Did you catch that? Then leaving her water jar. She came with that. She came with the thing to fill her need. And now she has left it behind. That's a shift. Let's go. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, See a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? <laughs> I love his disciples. His disciples give me hope for me. Because we, be, we can be really dumb sometimes, right? Jesus is like, I've literally been here with this woman 
since midday <laughs> and you were filling your faces and you come back and your primary concern is if I've eaten. Jesus is only caring about what we are consuming, what we need. And Jesus is saying, you don't even begin to understand the power, the life, the fullness that comes when you live your life so radically in the source, so, so from the hose that you live, so connected to this, that you leave what you came with and you, you go, I'll be right back. You leave it on because you don't want to turn it off. And you go and you come back and you bring all your friends and you say, guys, you need to try this. This is amazing. And as a result of your choice to live in faithfulness and to live in the fullness that God has for you, you not only change your life and, and your life is drastically renewed, the life of others around you is changed. And that is what God is talking about. It gives me hope because the disciples are trying to figure this out. Like, what is going on? He's talking to a woman. He's like, he's not hungry. Or maybe he is hungry, but he's not, he's not eating. What is he eating? Like, is he full? Is he satisfied? And Jesus is saying, I am so satisfied. I am so satisfied. And I think this is what Jesus took into the desert with him too, just a side note. Because I think Jesus' satisfaction and his fulfillment was so in the Holy Spirit, was so in God, that he knew he could do and face anything. And his primary goal is to see others come into freedom, come into understanding of who we're to be. If all you do is say, don't have lustful thoughts, don't have lustful thoughts, don't be a sinner, don't do that, you're going to end up that way. You will. If instead you start to say, I want to pursue God, I want to know him, I want to serve him, that changes everything. Because as we shift our focus, if we say, I don't want to sin, 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 our mind is always on sin. But if we say, I want to know God, I want to know God, I want to know God, our focus is lifted and it's on him. The times when I am most vulnerable uh, are the times when I've stopped pursuing God entirely. But when I'm pursuing him, when I'm you know, waking up with, with a mission and vision to change the world around me, it is so insatiable. It can't be quenched. It is so good. It's so satisfying. Because I can just be like, I'm going to go to work today and change someone's life. And I can be so happy when it's my own life that was changed that day. You know, I can be so happy coming to work in the morning and praying with our team and praying with you when, come, when you come to pray in the morning. And coming out of that time and being like, God, that person you brought today changed my whole perspective and I'm going to have the best day ever. And you just walk down the hallway here and I just whistle a little bit. Because I love it. I love it, but it's so easy to forget, isn't it? It's so easy to leave church, you guys, and go back to the same patterns of routine and say, no, you know what, God, thanks so much for this, um, but I'm going to turn it off. I'll be back next Sunday. And then we live in resource that does not renew, that does not last. So today... Whether you're here and you believe in Jesus or not, you can be free. You can be free from it. There are a few simple things you need to do. I'll invite the band to come up. A few simple things you've got to prioritize in your life. Number one is this, repentance. You have to commit to being honest with yourself and with God. Number two is this, confession. Talk to God about it. You know, I, I love the thought of repentance because it's acknowledging that it exists, being remorseful. But confession is another process that means actually going to the person, going to God and saying, I've recognized this. Now I need you to tell me that I'm worthy. And only you.
You know, the beautiful part about going to my wife is that she doesn't let me believe lies about myself. And I think that's what God has for us. I think God has this incredible honesty with us where he says, like, although you might be struggling, and yeah, that was really silly for you to do, I love you. You know what? You can come to me anytime you need. If we get this, church, if we choose our source, that's the third thing, if we choose our source, we've got repentance, confession, and if we choose the source, if we're intentional, we can have the happiest marriage we've ever had. We can see this church busting up the seams. So many of us are so concerned and so focused on what the world is doing right now, good and bad, all around. But guys, they're looking at a source that will run out. And whether it's lust after the things you don't have, the things you wish you had, or the things you wish that were different, God is just asking you to be honest enough with yourself to admit that you can't do it without him. Trusting God today is the greatest decision you will ever make. Because I would not be here if I didn't trust him, decide to trust him with everything. And it has not been easy. It's been challenging. And I have fallen. And I have sinned. And I have been dishonest. But Jesus always there. Come drink from my well. Come drink from my well. It's so deep, Tyler. It's so deep, Tyler. You don't even understand. You don't even understand how renewable this is. You don't even know how free from sin and shame you can be. You don't even begin to understand the fulfillment that you can feel. You don't even know how loved you are. You don't even know how approved you are. And church, whatever you're going through today, whatever you've got on your plate, whatever you're struggling with right now, whether it's lust or whether it's another form of sin, whatever it is, God is enough. God is more than enough. And he will continue to renew and establish you in the fullness that he has for you. We're going to stand and sing together. We're going to sing. We're going to sing who you say I am. We're going to talk a lot. We're going to declare this together this morning. That I am who you say I am. That it's not about me. It's not about what I think I need. But I know that I need more of God. So let's sing together.
transform and change our entire life. So I want to pray over you today. Let's pray together. God, we come to you this morning. We open our minds and our hearts up to understanding that sometimes we choose the wrong source. Sometimes we, we try to live our lives with sin still in it. But God, you have promised us today, God, that you have more than what we need more than enough of what we need, God, to sustain us, to fulfill us, to heal us, God. So I pray today for each and every person here. Right now, I want to pray for anybody that might be here for the today and want to know Jesus in a powerful way. And you're deciding today that you no longer want to live in the source that the world puts in front of you. With their eyes closed, if you want to make that decision today to know Jesus, would you just raise your hand confidently? Just raise it high in the air. Yes. If you're online right now, raise your hand in the air. You can put, that, put up a button there and we'll follow through with prayer with you. Yes. I see it. Yes. Church, let's pray together today. You can repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for sending your son. Thank you that I don't have to live in shame. I ask for your forgiveness for everything I've done that has been in the wrong source. And today, God, I choose you and all that you have for me. Renew me. Renew my mind. Help me live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give a round of applause. Church, there is nothing like being free. And this week, the challenge in our book is really straightforward, but really challenging. It's to take a media fast. Make some habits, set some new ones, change some old ones. Take 48 hours out of your week and discipline yourself to cut out television, 
magazines, email, social media, whatever it is, music. Take a media fast for 48 hours. Commit yourself to renewing your mind. And I promise you, if you can do that for 48 hours plugged into the source, you can do anything with God each and every day of your life. You are loved. You are free under the Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's sing together before we leave. Thanks for coming today, church. Sing.